Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast, where we look inside the mind of seven-figure entrepreneurs to see how they amplify their business and amplify their life. Let's welcome today's guest. Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast. Today's guest is a remarkable American entrepreneur who started, scaled, and sold six companies, uh, all for seven and eight figure exits. Mac and his companies have been featured on CNN, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Business North Carolina, USA Today, and the New York Times. Notable ventures include KYCK that was acquired by NBC, Mountain Kayaks acquired by Remington, and Internet Soccer Network that was acquired by a division of News Corp slash Sky. And he also additionally serves as a member of the board of directors for Lending Tree for over five years and is currently an angel investor in over 50 companies. Please welcome to the show, Mac Lackey. Great to have you, man. Thanks so much, Paul. Great to be here. So uh, really excited to dive into uh, like what's working right now. And we don't have a lot of people on the show that talk about exits, right? Uh, you you seem, to be a, seem to have a bit of experience in that. So um, what, what do founders and entrepreneurs not know about exits? Yeah, so exits, um, it's really interesting over time. I have, I've learned this having gone through the process a lot, but the biggest things that I think people tend to miss, one is you should never sell your company based on a financial multiple. So most companies, founders think about exiting for revenue multiples or EBITDA multiples. And the reality is you should sell based on strategic value that you've created and find the perfect buyer who's willing to pay you a premium for that value. So that's a really, really big thing for me and something I spend a lot of time helping founders with is, is lining up that strategic value with the perfect buyer. Um, the other thing is, it is it, it's really a proactive process. I think a lot of us as founders will decide that we want to sell our business. And when we make that decision, we start doing things to prepare. But just like Einstein said about compounding interest in money, which is, he called it the eighth wonder of the world, the same thing is true for exit preparation. So if you start today doing the little things that help get you prepared for exit over the next two to three years, that compounds into a lot of value. So I always urge people, even if you're years away from exiting, start the process of thinking about it, preparing, educating yourself and things like that. So those are a couple of big ones that come to mind. That's interesting and you know from from a selfish perspective you know we look at our business and it's always like built build in the right way in terms of sops and put all those kind of things in place so like if, if you're in my position that i might i may be i don't know five ten years away from exiting like what what would you do today so there are a couple of really simple things you can do very early in your business almost from inception one of them is um, I share with, with founders I work with, I take a, um, a due diligence request list, which is basically what you would receive from a prospective buyer when they want to consider buying your company and dive deep into all the nooks and crannies. And we use that due diligence checklist to create what is called a deal room, which think of it as simply you know Dropbox or Google Drive, but we organize it exactly in the fashion 
that is laid out in this due diligence request list. So financials and HR and marketing. And literally starting today, just start organizing your company's documents and materials in that fashion so that you know it's a very simple, maybe it's five minutes a day, maybe it's an hour on a Sunday. But when you wake up in, in five years, you have a very robust, comprehensive, well-organized deal room, which is very much the exception. Again, most people wait until the end and then they're scrambling and they can't find certain documents. And so that's a real simple thing you can do starting at inception and uh, it just, again, compounds into value over time. That's fascinating in itself. And I imagine a lot of entrepreneurs that come to you come to you quite panicked saying like, oh my God, I've got so much to prepare in such a short space of time. Do you, do you see anyone who does come to you and actually goes, yeah, I, I think I've got most of it down. Just, just help me with a little bit of it. You know, I think people that have been, if, if they're you know, listening to me on social media or following me in some fashion, you know, they, they've heard some of my very high level things. And so maybe sometimes, you know, I get the one or two founders who call and say, you know what, I'm, I feel like I've got my ducks in a row, but I'm, I know there's a little bit more for me to do. Can you help me? Um, but that's really the exception. I think most people realize when I, when they, sh- when they see some of the data that I tend to share, or maybe they attend a free webinar I do or something. And they're like, Oh my God, I do not know how to sell my company. And, and that's the real interesting thing to me. And I was in this boat for a lot of my career. I mean, and that is what makes you successful as an entrepreneur is normally one or two very specific skills that you have. You're a great engineer, you're a product designer, you're a creative marketer, whatever it is that leads to your success as an as a entrepreneur. It is very unusual for one of those things to be knows how to maximize an exit. And so despite your success as a founder, most founders, when challenged, realize they know very little about how to prepare for the best exit. And so it's kind of an eye opener or sometimes it feels like a you know punch in the gut to realize if left to your own devices, I can almost guarantee founders they're going to leave millions of dollars on the table if they don't start preparing and don't use some of the things that I tend to share. Um, and I was very fortunate to have six exits. I left millions of dollars on the table in my first exit. I left millions in my second exit. But most people aren't quite as fortunate in terms of having, you know, four or five, six times to get it right. I learn more each and every time. Most of us have maybe one exit if we're lucky, right? The odds are actually relatively low. Even if you want to sell your company, it's only about 20 to 30% of people that are trying to sell that actually get to an outcome. And then way below that in terms of how many maximize. And so that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to really help people understand so that they don't find themselves post exit looking back and realizing they left a lot of money on the table. And I'm intrigued about the fact that like you say, you've done six exits and I was looking through the timeline of how quick some of those exits were. So some of them you're only in the company almost 12 months. So it was that building those from scratch and then getting them to exit or was it like coming in and going, right, this is what we're going to need for exit. And then you're exiting with them. Yeah, so my, uh, my six exits were all companies that I started from scratch and, and uh, you know, scaled up and exited. But there were a few of those companies that were 
uh, relatively quick exits. So my second company was, yeah, I started it, scaled it, exited for $15 million in about 14 months. Um, some of that was the sign of the times because the space we were in, this was kind of, you know, web 1.0 in the, in the late, very late nineties. We sold it in 2000, um, 2001, I believe is when we sold it. Um, but it was also because we created so much strategic value and exclusive content that when it came time to sell, there was basically a bidding war to buy our business. Um, so yeah, some of my companies have, have taken many years to get to exit. Some have been very quick because the strategic value that we created lined up very fast with people that were interested in buying it. So, um, so yeah, over the course of 25 years, some have been fast, some have been slow. <laughs> you mentioned a few times strategic value. Like what can you define for people exactly what you mean by strategic value? Yeah, so there, there are lots of different forms of strategic value. Some of the big, I think more, the, the ones that tend to lead to great exits are things that involve like intellectual property. So maybe you have you know, created some really unique products and services, but if you have protected those with intellectual property like patents and trademarks and copyrights, then that powerful thing you've created is actually protected and the only way for someone to get it is to buy it from you because they can't go out and just copy your great idea. So intellectual property is often a, a good form of strategic value. Several of my businesses, the strategic value we created was exclusive distribution deals. And so I might have a software product and I find a big national or international company to be the exclusive distributor of my software, that deal, the actual legal document, which is an exclusive agreement, might have enormous value to another company that didn't have the foresight to identify them as a, as a distribution partner. So I look for things like that where I can give my company an advantage and ultimately I can line that up with someone who wants to pay me a premium to access that advantage. So that's, you know, some of the many things that are kind of strategic value oriented. And so do you, do you go in with the kind of, okay, like I've got, I've, I think I can create this intellectual property or I've got this distribution channel and I'm like, I know busy is four or five competitors that they're not noticing this right now. And I can see an opportunity or is it more of a, Oh, great. We've got this now it is, it's there. So now I'm going to put it out to the world. Yeah. In a lot of cases, um, I think of strategic value, not that differently from whatever decisions you as an entrepreneur or as a founder are making to give yourself a competitive advantage in the market. So you're always looking for launching new products, hiring talent, finding distribution, finding unique sourcing, all of those things are in the natural course of business. And if you're a good entrepreneur, you're constantly finding those unique things to differentiate you in the market. But where I sort of come in is to say, okay, well, those things need to be very clearly identified, uh, protected with intellectual property, um, locked up with exclusivity. And that's the difference between just having good distribution 
in distribution that might be worth millions of dollars in an exit is that simple uh, step of locking up an exclusive agreement or filing a trademark or a patent around your unique product and service. So it's really just asking founders to take a little bit more thoughtful time looking at the things they're doing to create competitive advantages and saying, hey, how could these be really valuable in an exit? And what can we do to ensure that that's protected? That's, that's maybe the way to think about it. Mm, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's fascinating stuff, I think, for, for anyone, especially if people are already at that seven-figure or eight-figure level and thinking about that. So you've also got a program called Exit DNA. So yes. why, why is Exit DNA so valuable to entrepreneurs? So Exit DNA was really an interesting process for me. So I, I had my last exit in October of 2018. I sold my, my last company. And shortly thereafter, I was asked to speak at an event, a uh, big entrepreneurs event. And they asked me to speak about exits. And, and, you know, candidly, at that point, I did not think of myself as a great speaker. I didn't have a program. I was literally just asked to, you know, share my stories. And after I got up on stage and I just basically talked about some of my background and the, the stories, goods and bads, you know, mistakes I'd made, things I'd done well, a number, I mean, probably seven or eight founders from the audience kind of jogged up to me and said, Mac, I need your help. And what was really resonating with them was this notion that you should not sell based on financial multiples. And when I was explaining example after example of how I had taken a little idea or a little company and sold it for a massive premium to a big company, public company, international buyer, whoever it was, they, they literally were like, I, I can't connect the dots. I don't see how you did that. And so it, it helped me see that, wow, there's this big opportunity. And these were very smart, successful entrepreneurs. I mean, I, I felt like an imposter standing up on the stage because I'm looking out at the audience thinking like, I know who these people are. They probably don't know who I am. But the reality was I had this unique set of experiences and I thought I can share that and help these, these founders. So long story short, I took everything I'd learned over the last 25 years and created a program called Exit DNA, where I work directly with uh, small kind of cohorts of founders to help them prepare to create that option to exit and to maximize its value. So it's basically literally everything I learned in the process of my own set of experiences. And I also, you know, having spent five, six years on a public company board that was doing acquisitions. I was wearing kind of the buyer hat on the other side of the table. And then I've been a pretty prolific angel investor. So not only my companies, but watching my portfolio of investments and their leadership teams navigate through this process, I've just learned so much. Um, and it's pretty unique stuff, meaning there are a lot of investment bankers that are a whole lot smarter than me. And there are plenty of M&A advisors and transaction attorneys that are really, really good at the process. But preparing a founder to do the things that will maximize value isn't in the market. I just literally never run into it. So that's kind of what Exit DNA is, is helping founders go through that process. Yeah. To be honest, I've never seen so someone really do do what you do um and 
there's there's a few people out there that do that whole flip thing right so they're just like hey buy the business and then you can go and sell it six months later is that something that can work with what you do do you look for those opportunities as an angel investor where you're like i want to get in and get out in in 12 months or is it long-term plays so most of i mean exit dna is basically working with founders where i'm kind of their you know mentor and coach and, and teacher if you will um and some of them are, you know, selling, many of them are selling or want to sell their very first company, but what they will learn in exit DNA, they will apply to their next business. They will probably use to invest and buy companies because the same mentality applies to almost any transaction. And so for me personally, I also now look at companies and think to myself, you know, yeah, can I invest in this company? Because I know three or four pretty straightforward dials that I can turn that would create a great exit. Or can I partner with a founder who's an amazing operator, but I can bring in that capability of setting it up for a great exit. So yeah, I, I think, I definitely think that way now. I mean, I was pretty much, you know, done with my career after that exit, meaning I wasn't really planning on starting a new company. I really wanted to give back. And exit DNA has become a, a really, really fun way for me to feel like I'm helping founders where the ROI for them is, you know, I always say it's, you know, 10 to 100x because I don't charge much for my program. And they often get, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions more in exit value. But it also allows me to find these unique opportunities to invest or to partner with people, which, which I really enjoy. Yeah. And, I think uh, you're being quite humble about, you know, what you charge for your program in terms of what the ROI is. It's uh, it's probably more than 100x. Let's 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 be honest. Um, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I was yeah, I was looking through your stuff and I was like, okay, that's that's very good value for someone who's in that right position. Um, so that's what what's uh, what would be really interesting to hear f- from your perspective as well. You know, being exiting through so many businesses is where do you think the next five years of, of marketing and business is heading? Cause things are evolving so quickly right now. What do you think is changing? Well, there are a couple of things that are, that are changing. You know, I think the, the founders that are really creating a ton of value right now are ones that are pretty nimble and agile. And that's because the market itself is evolving so quickly. So it doesn't matter if you're in, you know, D to C software as a service, maybe you have a, a, a retail you know, product or a retail you know, outlet, almost any part of that world is, is rapidly changing. So I think founders that are incredibly agile and taking advantage of moving quicker than some of the you know, larger incumbent kind of competitors, they're the ones that are really extracting value quickly. You're seeing it right now in, in Amazon. I mean, the Amazon resellers and the Amazon businesses are, you, know, you see people going from a, a, an idea or zero to you know, millions of transactions pretty quickly because they find a niche, they figure out how to do it well, they scale it up. And then the minute something changes, they adapt very quickly. Um, so I think you know, agility as a strategy is, is a big, big opportunity for a lot of founders. Um, and then just really understanding how consumer psychology is changing as a result of the last couple of years. Um, again, an opportunity for 
earlier stage companies that are maybe six or seven figures to say, hey, we can figure out what is compelling people to buy, how are their behaviors changing, and we don't have all of this infrastructure that's invested in things that are dying. So those are all really interesting to me. And, and then I think the other thing, which is really, really valuable is thinking what the new technologies will mean in business. And so, for example, you know, I had some of my early companies were, as I said, kind of web 1.0. I was really early in the internet space and I was telling every business I talked to the internet, which just sounds so obvious in hindsight, but this was 95, 96. <laughs> so I was telling all these companies, the internet is going to fundamentally change the way you do business. You're going to start selling online, which at that time, everybody was like, oh, I don't trust putting credit cards on the internet. But the reality is it did change everything. And now we're seeing that with things like blockchain and people are getting really excited about Bitcoin or the price of Dogecoin or NFTs all of which is interesting. But what's much more interesting to me is as a founder, look two or three steps ahead and say, what are the implications of blockchain in my business or my industry? And if you can be early to figure that kind of stuff out, it can be really valuable. And people are not doing enough of that, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about that. I mean, we, we've got a little bit of investment uh, personally in IOTA which not a lot of people know that much about, but it's all about the internet of things and yes. those microtransactions. Um, so do you think those kind of things are going to, like I, I vision a world where you won't buy a washer, you won't buy a dishwasher, everything, you'll just pay it on a pay-per-use basis of like, I don't know, put 0.001 cents or something per use. Do you think that's where things are going? Or Yeah, that's actually a really good example of, I, you know, I don't know. That's a great question. Like personally, um, I'm not in a business that's, you know, trying to think through that. And yet it's the perfect example of what I'm saying, which is if you were in the business of software as a service or, you know, internet of things, or even appliances in general, washers, dryers, refrigerators, whatever, that's exactly the kind of question you should ask. It, what, you know, in five years, how will consumers interact with their machines? Are they rented? Are they, are they owned? Are they pay for use? Are they, you know, all of those kind of things. And if you can move out a couple of steps ahead of the market, then you can make investments that will put your company in a unique position to make that happen. And so I think about that in just about everything I do. I try to avoid thinking about the obvious stuff that's happening now and I try to move out, you know, two or three concentric circles and start thinking about, yeah, what, what's going to change? And microtransactions to me are an absolute no brainer. I mean, because of the consumer behavior, which we talked about a minute ago, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that as a consumer, I'm paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars to one primary cable provider to give me all of these channels. And now almost everything I do is either Netflix or buy an individual movie on iTunes or a specific TV series. And that change in behavior has disrupted, you know, billions and billions of dollars of, of cable infrastructure. So if you, if you apply that kind of thinking to any business you're in, that's where the real opportunities are because you're early and you're agile enough to 
do something about it. Meanwhile, the big incumbent cable companies or the appliance manufacturers, it'll take them five years to even change their thinking. Meanwhile, you might have already started, built and sold a company in that space. Yeah, like like you say, and I think cars as well will be the same. It'll just Absolutely. be pay, pay per use because uh, prob- probably, and I didn't know we we're going to go down this route, but what <laughs> uh, one of the things, you know, because house prices have inflated that much, now no one can afford to buy a house really. So everyone's essentially, even though they've got a mortgage, most people are just renting for the rest of the life anyway. Right. Uh, so everyone's used to renting everything over ownership. So yeah, totally relate where you're going on that. Um, and and Mac, here's a, a question that we ask everyone who comes on the show is what do you want to be remembered for when you die? You know, gosh, that's a, yeah. So from a, I guess, legacy perspective, I, I really think about two very distinct buckets. You know, I, I want to be thought of, you know, generally and certainly by my actual family as a great husband and father. You know, I really want, I, I, I want to stand up for that because it's been really a big part of my story and how I've built my companies in life. So, I mean, that's super important to me. Um, and the other is, you know, I, I, I want to be considered someone that really helped a lot of founders, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, because I know, you know, when I started my first company in, in 1995 to set the stage for, you know, your audience, because it depends on your age that, you know, may have been before people were born. 1995, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, that was about three months after Netscape launched the commercial web browser. I was an internet entrepreneur. No one knew what that meant. All of my friends were bankers. Um, They actually felt sorry for me. They were like, oh, you're an entrepreneur, which means you can't get a job at the bank or as an attorney. You're not smart enough to be a doctor. I mean, it was literally like, it was tough to be an entrepreneur. There was no, no one to look up to in this region. So I, I say all that to say, you know, I know how hard it can be. It's gotten exponentially easier to start a company. The cost is virtually nothing now. Um, but I also know that if I can help founders accelerate the things that I had to learn over a decade or 25 years of, of in the trenches, grinding through how to raise money, how to scale a company, how to exit. If I can help people do that in a very short period of time, I think I can have a much bigger impact um, in people's lives and in the world. And so that's, that's kind of the way I would love to be remembered as mattering in that way. I like, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I think, yeah, legacy is massively important. <laughs> and when you have that, like you say, again, a lot of entrepreneurs on here talk about the ripple effect of how that that leads down when they're, if they're doing an eight figure exit, they've built a massive team. They've then helped the families of those people and everything as well. So uh, I think what you're doing, you know, right now as well. And like you say, the way that you've priced things as well, um, it shows that you're there to give, right. You could easily be charging a hundred thousand dollars for, for what you helping people with. Um, so yeah, just credit to you on that man. Um, and so, Mac, what is one quick win that people can use to amplify their business today? You know, one, one practice that I started early in my career that I honestly think has been, it's so simple and yet one of the most valuable things you can do is every single day, 
I write down on a little index card. I should have had it. I could have held it up to show you because it's usually you know right in front of me. But is I write MTN, which is move the needle, and I write down three things, and it is three things that will actually propel what I care about, either my business or my investments or my family. And those three things sit in front of me all day, which helps me think about only doing things that move the needle. Because my to-do list, if you look at it like a to-do list, has a hundred things on it. And I could easily spend all week just checking those off and making myself feel good about, hey, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. None of them matter near as much as that one phone call I really need to make or that one deal I need to close or whatever it is, finish that one website edit. And, and so I got in this habit of, you know, writing down MTN, move the needle and three things. And if I do those three things, I mean, it is like putting a rocket booster behind my productivity. So that's, that's kind of my, my recommendation. Yeah. I, and uh, like, I mean, exactly the same way, right? I've got, <laughs> got my uh, th- three top, top three outputs for the day. And uh, do you, so when you're thinking about those three as well, just because we, we've got a little bit of extra time, I'd like to dive into that a little bit more is when you're thinking about those three things, is it right? I'm going to write the three things or is it, I'm going to write a lot of things and then prioritize and go actually, which ones really move the needle? Yeah. So from a process standpoint, what I tend to do is I do have a, um, and I'm, I'm sort of, you know, old school, if you will, but even research would suggest that this is a smart way to do it is I still use a, um, a notebook and, and have my to-do list as kind of a long list. And I pull that up because I, the, the habit of writing it down and going, you know, putting that in my mind and putting down paper, I usually pull that up and try to, you know, underline or highlight things that I think might be the three most high impact things I can do if I don't already know. I mean, sometimes I'm like, clearly the most important thing I do today is X, you know, but I often try to scan my to-do list, do a quick, you know, highlight and say, okay, these are, these are maybe five things that probably will fit the bill, but let's pick the, you know, three that matter the most. So I try to make sure that I'm always considering the big to-do list and narrowing it down to things that, that move the needle. But the other, you know, comment, you know, candidly is I've been doing this for a long time and I still will sometimes write down three things and, and then look at it again and be like, you know, Mac, that's not moving the needle. Like you're not really challenging yourself enough. And so I have to constantly remind myself, move the needle means it's significant. It's not a little thing. It needs to be significant. And if I get it done, I should be high-fiving myself. And so that's the level of task that people need to, you know, put time into. And again, I'm, I'm guilty myself of writing three things down and being like, all right, that actually isn't that significant. So, so I would just challenge, you know, you, your listeners, whatever, to make sure that whatever you put down, and that's why it says MTN at the top. I mean, it is something that really moves the needle in your life, in your business, in your finances or whatever it is. Fantastic. It's been a, a pleasure having you on the show, Mac, today. And uh, so firstly, what is one seven-figure entrepreneur that you nominate to be on the show next? I would say, you know, one of my longtime business partners who has been a, a amazing human and partner for me in terms of business, but has a very different mind than, than I do, uh, Ross Salderini. Um, 
I think he would be really interesting because he just thinks and does things very differently than I do, um, despite having a number of very shared experiences running companies or being in business together. So yeah, I think he would be a great guest for you. Phenomenal. And also, where can people find out more about you and Exit DNA? Great. Yeah, thank you. Um, really, two or three primary things. So I have a personal site, maclackey.com, and it's M-A-C-L-A-C-K-E-Y.com. That's kind of my, my blog, my personal site. There is a site for Exit DNA, which is at exitdna.com. And then, of course, on, on social media, pretty much everywhere, given my unique name, it's, you know, at MacLackey. Um, you can find me on social media. And I try to, I really do try to post videos and do free webinars and put as much free content out there as possible. Um, so, you know, I would recommend people, if they're even remotely interested in what we talked about today, check those things out. Yeah, 100%. It's been really eye-opening for me, to be honest, as well. I'm going to be doing some different things in my business to make sure it is ready for an exit whenever that is. Uh, and so thank you so much for being on the show. You've been listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast with me, Paul Ace, and my amazing guest, Mac Lackey. Remember, amplify your business and amplify your life. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast. To access the show notes, episodes, and this month's giveaway, head over to www.amplifytosevenfigures.com. Remember, amplify your business, amplify Amplify your your life.